Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. Hey, welcome back to Training for Manhood. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a couple good friends with me because we're going to start a new book discussion, right? The goal of these book discussions uh, is to encourage you to read a good book. Um, We started off with kind of a man book. Um, It was uh, John Eldridge, um, Wild at Heart. We went to a marriage, parenting marriage book was the next one, uh, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Mm. Uh, I wanted to do a cultural book uh, next, and so just kind of one that examined the world that we live in. Uh, And so I picked Strange New World, and I'll explain that whole thing. Um, And then uh, the last one we're going to do for the uh, remainder of the year will be um, kind of a biography or an encouraging book. So four books in a year, I think it's not a bad start. Next year I may bump it up to eight books. Um, But um, I grabbed a couple friends, um, great guys, pastors uh, at uh, the church that I'm at, uh, Tim Matthews and Jonathan Teague. So um, guys, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great to be here, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be back. All right. Yeah. Excited about it. Um, and uh, and we're going to dive into this book. Um, this is It's called Strange New World. The subtitle says, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution, which is a huge, big title. Um, it's by Dr. Carl Truman. Um, but I wanted to set it up um, with this. Um, in, in his um, larger version, he wrote a 400-page book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Um, and when it came out, I read it and I was like, this was so awesome, but nobody's going to read it because it's 400 pages. <laughs> so a friend of his told him, hey, you need to come out with a 200-page version of it. So he did, and that's the one we're looking at, Strange New Thank World. Thank you for choosing that one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Note to self, uh, good, good call. Yeah. But when, he, when yeah. he wrote the first one, he said this. He said, um, why am I writing this book? Okay, and this is The Rise and Trump. He said, why am I writing this book? He said, so I told my grandparents that I was a man trapped in a woman's body. They would have the thought that it was the start of a joke. But it's not, right? Because I get to define my own reality. I get to tell you, hey, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a woman. I'm, I'm the, I get to define my own reality in all aspects, and, and we'll get into that. Um, but at the end of his explanation for why he's going through all of this and spending all this time, um, he writes a particular line, which I, I think is, is very profound. He says, the task of the Christian is not to whine about the moment in which he or she lives, but to understand its problems and respond appropriately to them. Yeah. So our concept in, in addressing this particular book and reading it is not just to look at the world around us and say, look how bad it is, look how awful this is, look how terrible this is. It's to say, hey, I understand this. I understand how we got here. And the Word of God helps me understand how to deal with the reality around me so that I can help people break free from the trap that they are living in that they don't even know they're living in. Mm-hmm. But this particular book is is helping us grasp kind of the cultural moment in which we live. And so I think it's a really, really important read, and I hope a lot of guys pick it up and read it. Um, so anyway, so I wanted to do that. Um, he, he talks about, if you want to kind of summarize the book, he says, um, how a person became the self, the self became sexualized, and sex became politicized. Yeah. And that's where we are today, right? So anything dealing with gender and sexuality um, now is the definition of who you are, mm-hmm. right? And it now has and, – and when I say politicized, I mean it has the power of the state to enforce it. That's, that's the other part that people don't understand, right? When we're talking about politics, right? If you, hey, listen, Jonathan, if you want to say you're whatever and you want to say you're this or you want to say that, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. 
But when the state can enforce me to recognize that, that's a totally different ballgame, <laughs> right? Because yeah, right. there's always been crazy out there. There's always been you know people who are wrong and they have whatever their ideas are. But when the state can come in and say, hey, unless you recognize this, we're going to shut your business down. Or unless you recognize this, you can't do right? It's like, whoa, this is a totally different ballgame. So that's where he's at and that's the world in which we live. So just general thoughts about the book when you read it. Tim, Jonathan, what was your kind of first takeaway? Yeah, I'll, I'll kick us off. Well, I think first and foremost um, – what he aimed to do, I found uh, that he achieved it. Mm. Um, you know, when you look at the world around you, you look at our cultural context, uh, specifically here in America, here, Texas, North Dallas, and you look around and you wonder how or why things are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he did a really good job of system, systematizing that and kind of looking at the historical thought that's kind of led us to the moment that we find ourselves uh, in. And so I think one of the things that I loved uh, about the book is, to your point, rather than just diagnosing a bunch of the cultural issues mm. that we're facing, uh, he helped us see, well, here's how we got there. Yep. Um, and I think that's massively helpful in terms of not only diagnosing, but also thinking through it theologically. And um, one of the things you said early on in your podcast uh, or in the introduction to this podcast was helping people think and understand uh, regarding culturally relevant issues. I think for us as pastors and ministry leaders, um, we want people to think theologically about things. So not just looking at things culturally, but how do we look at them through a biblical worldview and through the lens of our faith that not only can we understand, uh, but also help people see uh, the, the theology Theology, uh, behind them and help them to think rightly um, through the lens of their faith. Yeah. So I think this mm-hmm. book did a really good job of helping us uh, do that. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. In the news this past week, there was a hockey player who is just being excoriated by the league that he plays in because right. they had Didn't a... Didn't wear the rainbow flag yeah, jersey. They had a pride emphasis yep. on uh, all of the hockey sticks and the pucks and the practice jerseys. And he said, uh, I'm not participating because of my faith. Yeah. And Russian Orthodox. Russian Orthodox, yeah. of all things. Yeah. And um, he he was just absolutely eviscerated. Yeah. I, I watched two different commentators just ignite full-blown craziness totally. at, at the complete irrationality of this guy's unwillingness to – you know, subvert to uh, what his league had said, we're going to do this. And if you can't support this, then you shouldn't be on the team or the team should be penalized. I mean, all of these consequences. And I, and I was, was, I was watching that yeah. person just be so upset. Yeah. I just kept thinking about like, this, this book. Is, this right? is it right here. This, <laughs> this is the thrust of what <laughs> Trim is trying to say, played out. all playing out, right? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a real, I have a real passion for history and story and where things come from. Mm. And, you know, some of the guys that he talks about were some of my favorite poets. <laughs> but you have to put them in the context of, of some of the things that he's trying to get you to see. Like Tim said, this progression or regression maybe is a better word, um, this divolution of of where what was really normative and really accepted is like this is what, uh, you know, is right and wrong generally, whether you had faith or not, right? So I'm not necessarily an evangelical or Bible-believing gospel-centered person, but this is normatively right or wrong in my – in exactly. everywhere. Right. To where we are now in just a few short hundred years where almost, almost, he and I think he's clear about this, we're not quite fully breached to total irrationality, but we're on our way yeah. where almost everything well, is acceptable. Well, when, when the NHL – Yeah, <laughs> which, which, of which all is, leagues. Which is not a church. Yeah, right? no. when, the, when the NHL takes a player yeah. who doesn't want to wear a rainbow jersey or do whatever, yeah. and, and it's just like, you know, 
why? Right. I'm, I'm a hockey player. Right. Right. I, I, I don't need to support your particular bent right. or your particular bent or this particular thing over here. I mean, right. There, there's lots of different issues out there in the world. Right. Right. So when you bring them in there and say, hey, we're going to talk about this. It's like I, I may agree. I may disagree. I mean, but this is the one you cannot disagree with anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. When we talk about gender and sexuality, if you disagree, you're the Neanderthal. You're the reason that there's a problem with the world. Right. And it just. Right. Right. It, I mean, it, it right. has gotten to that point. And so I'm, I'm glad that Carl Truman put in so much effort to help us understand how we got there. Yeah. Um, he doesn't leave us there. I, I, I do like how he ends it, right, is he kind of helps us understand, like, hey, what do we need to do to, to move on from this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what's, the, you know, what's the role of the thinking Christian in this particular culture? So I'm, I'm excited, hopefully, um, you know, for episode four, right, on the fourth Friday when we get there, when we release that one, <laughs> hopefully people are like, hey, I stayed with you now. Give me some good stuff yeah. so I can, you know, engage the culture. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the, the, the pattern of what we've done uh, in the past, I think we're going to try to stick with it, is um, we're going to try to do four episodes. Um, this is, you know, nine chapters. So, you know, Dr. Truman didn't help us out with that. So um, we're going to try to do introduction, chapter one and two um, for the first week, chapter three and four, chapter five and six, and then seven, eight, nine uh, for the end part. Um, so if people would uh, pick up the book, get it, read it, right? It's on Amazon or wherever you want to pick up a book. It's called Strange New, Thi- Strange New World um, by Dr. Carl Truman. Read it as we're going through here, and hopefully this conversation will be helpful. So let's dive into chapter one. Um, it's called Welcome to This Strange New World. Um, he spends a bunch of time talking about uh, what he's going to call expressive individualism. Mm. So the whole idea that um, – and, and I think the best way to just kind of summarize it as he puts it is whatever I'm feeling – is not only legitimate, mm-hmm. um, when I express my particular feeling, everybody else has to reinforce that um, and basically um, promote whatever I'm feeling. So if I'm um, feeling a particular way, right, it may not be true, but that doesn't matter. It may not be fact, but that doesn't matter. It's simply my feelings and when I express them, everybody else has to kind of get on board. And he's like, that's, that's the concept, right? Is, you know, he says the modern self is, is one where authenticity is achieved by acting outwardly in accordance with one's inward feelings, right? And you always have to be able to express whatever you want at all times. Anybody who says, no, that's not right, good, true, right? They are repressing your feelings. They're repressing you as an individual and they are now your enemy mm-hmm. and must be fought against. And I think that's a, a really interesting thing. He then, he's going to tell us in chapter one, right? Like, okay, so, you know, are we talking about a person who says, hey, I think I'm the queen of England. And you're like, oh, okay, you're the queen of England. And it's like, okay. So not every feeling we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about those specifically dealing with a person's sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, if an in if a individual's inner identity is defined by sexual desire, then he or she must be allowed to act out that desire in order to be a, an authentic person, right? So any way I want to act sexually, um, it's up to you as the community to reinforce that. Right. And so, again, goes back to that NHL player. Right. When he doesn't reinforce that, when he doesn't put on the pride jersey and he doesn't, you know, carry the pride flag, then he is now an enemy to those particular individuals and really an enemy to everybody in society. And he must be silenced. He must be put away. He, you know, he must feel the oppression of that. Uh, And so that's that's what's beginning to happen uh, in chapter one. And he's beginning to kind of lay the groundwork for that, um, you know, that that thought process. Anything else? Chapter one? No, I mean, just speaking back to the example that we're talking about, the hockey player, what I find fascinating mm. about this is the subjectivity and the arbitrariness mm. to all of it Amen. as it relates yeah. to that. Yeah. Speaking specifically of the hockey player, I think it's funny that um, the attack or the onslaught that's coming against him because of that 
but yet the lack of recognizing his feelings and how he feels and him acting out towards his inner feelings to be his true authentic self, be it, it doesn't work both ways. And I think that's, that's where the self-defeating aspect of a lot of this comes um, into play. And not only that, but just this idea of feelings in and of itself, helping people think, you know, theologically, obviously for us as born again believers, we recognize how problematic that can be because I don't know about you guys, but how I feel in the morning may be massively (laughs) different than how I feel by the time I get to three o'clock and I need a cup of coffee. Um, And so this idea of uh, highlighting feeling as the source of truth and and giving feeling authority, which he does go on to say in book one, that there are some good aspects uh, in chapter one. There are good aspects to this, but there kind of has to be a, a limit and a logic behind it because otherwise, I mean, we're talking about very subjective, very arbitrary things that, um, are very circular and uh, just become problematic. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you point yeah. out one of the one of the biggest, I think, problems that we see, but doesn't ever get recognized, doesn't ever get addressed, and that is right. My feelings and your feelings should probably have equal weight then. Um, but yet, because my feelings are different than yours, because I see the world differently than yours, the concept is is, but that's not a logical way of feeling. And it's like. Okay, so why, why do my feelings become illogical and your feelings become right. logical? That's that therein lies the problem. Yeah, there's there's an implication too there, like just to just to really give more clarity around even just that situation we're watching happening in real time in the media with this guy. I mean, you know, and by and by the way, if you dig, if you go back and research a little bit of his story, he's he's not the most vocal guy in right. that locker room, particularly about his faith. Yeah. And so there, that's why there's some of this like ripple effect. I think too, what's fascinating is not only the individual uh, being really pressed in on, but also the structures around him in his situation, his team. Yeah. So not only is there a call to condemn him, it's to condemn the organization of which he finds himself as a means to sort of shame everybody back into compliance. And I like, I like Truman's opening sort of reminder to us that the only firewall left when you take yourself down this very pluralistic framework is consent. Yeah. And when he talks about the fact that at the end of the day, when yep. we start to hyper-contextualize my individuality, then the only thing left is what you and I agree is okay. And if that goalpost continues to move, as it were, then okayness goes into oblivion. It's yeah. we're, like who who's the arbiter that says, ah, that's what too is far. okay. Yeah, like we're not going to go further than that. Like yeah. it, it's because, it, I mean, he's going to show us, you know, one of the problems, the fallout of this in individualism is it can't be culture. It can't be society. It can't be government. If anything, those are tools in the hand of, of my self-actualization. That's right. And that's massively problematic just for like people, you know, driving on the highway. Because if you take that as fullest conclusion, then stop signs and lights and seatbelt laws and common courtesy, that all goes with it as well. And as believers, although our faith is personal and although our our love of Jesus is is deeply intimate on mm-hmm. a personal level – we have to recognize too that the implications of that is that that doesn't happen in a void, right? So, so my understanding of the individualization of my walk with Christ doesn't then also simultaneously excuse me from me interpreting. I mean, Paul says this like so: so grace abounds, so sin abounds all the more. Yeah. Like if you play no. this game, even <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Not. If you play this game in your own faith walk, if you yes. tried it in this space, yes. it would still end up in a, it's a non-starter. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really thankful that he sort of props up this reminder to us as we sort of dive down the rabbit hole that, you know, what the, the only thing that really pluralism offers you at the end of the day is consent. And yeah. even consent becomes subjective, and that's really scary. Yeah.
Yeah, because it has to be consent to what I want you to consent to. Yeah, which it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're back in the feelings <laughs> or, carousel. Or even yeah. at what second. point yeah. can yeah. you provide a proper consent? Right. right? Yeah. Exactly. Like, Cognitively. Yeah. Like, what, what does that even mean now? Yeah. 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 Now, but I mean, I love too because you, you talked about you know not only the individual but the systems like his team. I mean, I remember when North Carolina. Right, their state legislature passed a law dealing with you know marriage and you know right, against same sex right. marriage and you know the I can't remember if it was the NBA or the NHL or the if somebody you know is like oh we can't have any games and you know in the state of North yeah, Carolina the tournament they right. pulled and out you're like, yeah, all what? the venues like, <laughs> like okay so you know where where does it stop where where yeah. do, you know it's like we we can only play games in California right we can only you know of course that's actually <laughs> <not> true right <laughs> where they consent to anything. Right, whatever you want to somewhere do. in eastern Idaho, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, figure it out. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, uh, but but I, I I do like how you talked a little bit about the idea of the slippery slope, right? Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people hate the argument of the slippery slope because it's like you have to talk about the moment. You can't talk about where it's going to lead to. The great thing about Truman's book is he goes back hundreds of mm-hmm. years and says, here was the moment, here's where it led to, and then mm-hmm. continues to kind of draw those lines for us so that. We're not unwise to look at things and say, I know we're in this moment today, right. but here's where this logic, this reasoning can lead to, right? right? So if you can't accept today, can you accept tomorrow? Because this is where it's going, right? Or if today is okay, what about tomorrow? And you're like, oh, so those are, I think those are proper arguments to make. Yep. Um, one of the things that I wrote down on my notes was just, um, um, you know, he, he talks about, um, you know, the limits, right? He says, you know, obviously Western society still has sexual co- codes and places limits on sexual behavior. And he says pedophilia, for example, right? Which is, you know, if an adult wants to have sex with a child, right? That's still illegal. And it's, it's you know, morally and socially um, kind of taboo still, mm-hmm. right? Well, it's very interesting because with, with our students here, um, I introduced a term uh, as we were talking about these particular issues and doing things, right? But now the term pedophilia has been taken away and they're called MAPS, right? They're minor attracted persons. And so the whole idea is, right, you begin to change the language, you begin to, wait to you know, change the, the narrative around it, and then you begin to find out that, you know, those things that used to be outlawed, now we kind of accept, now we have to accept the next thing we know, right? When you stand against that and you say, hey, no, right? There's the next player who's ostracized and said, hey, you can't. So, so those are things to think about. He doesn't spend a ton of time talking about the future um, and where this can lead, right? Because there's plenty of stuff that he's kind of, you know, hey, look at the past, look where we are now. Right. But you do want to kind of look ahead and say, boy, what, what other things, you know, haven't fallen yet that could um, you know, the whole idea of, of you know, marriage, right? Um, you've got, you know, we celebrate now, you know, same-sex marriage, right? Well, there could be a day when literally you can't get married to a person of an opposite sex. I mean, there's just right. amazing, right? Because right. that would be, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a bizarre concept that, you know, um, that in in his examination of things, right? You could just look at things and just say, you know, we'll never get to this point. We'll never get to that point. Well, I don't think we ever thought we'd get here and we are. Mm-hmm. So now what's the next step? You know, and I think that's, that's, that's one of the things that he does a, a really good job of uh, in just kind of addressing. Um, he, he also talks about just how sexual acts um, have no moral interest, intrinsic value. Um, they're simply, as you said, you know, Tim, you know, they're, they're simply, once you consent to something that makes it okay. Um, and therein lies a problem um, because if a person is consenting to something, um, they may be consenting to something that actually may be harmful to them, right? And and by saying that it's okay because you've consented, one, that doesn't make it right. And two, the whole idea of, you know, what does consent actually mean is part of the conversation, 
right? And so, mm-hmm. you know. Or even the means that brought about the consent. mean that brought about the consent, yeah. Like, right? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so those are all, you know, just huge topic. And he, I mean, chapter one is just a meat and potatoes, you know, hey, here's where I'm starting, here's where I'm going. And you, you sink in real quick in that, in that first chapter. So yeah. anything else from that that you so. thought was interesting? I mean, it's just for just for sake of if you're if you're out there and you're thinking like, man, reading, reading books is hard, or reading books like this is like, ah, this is not really in my routine. I, one of the things I'm grateful for the selection here, Dan, is just the fact that he does make this super digestible. Like, yes, you can step into it with very little framework or even like a deep passion for and some of these subjects. He provides it for you. Consume. Yeah, yeah he really I think that's does. helpful. So be encouraged on that as you read, for well, sure. Chapter two now begins kind of the, the historical examination, right? He calls it romantic roots. Uh, he begins and he's going to introduce us to a number of thinkers, right? People who have made an influence, a number of names that people probably are familiar with, right? Go back to, you know, high school history. Um, and uh, and he's going to kind of dive into there. He starts off with, a, you know, Rene Descartes, right? I think, therefore I am. And he just talks about how, um, in a sense, right, um, you know, that thinking is the ground of certainty, right? So because it's in your mind, because you have this particular feeling, right, then it then it can be true because, you know, hey, it originated with my mind. And so now God is not the source of truth. I am. Yeah. Okay. So step one. Step two, um, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, um, and he just talks about how uh, Rousseau promotes this whole social contract thing, this, you know, noble savage that um, – the person put in society, it's actually a society that ends up corrupting us. We were not corrupted before, so he doesn't believe in the fall of man, right, that we come into the society already corrupted. He's just like, no, you were pure, you know, as the wind-driven snow before, and then all of a sudden you come around other people, and that's what has corrupted you. Um, and and in, and it says in here, it says, in short, society makes us inauthentic, which is going to be hard because if society then becomes the enemy of the individual – as I express myself as an individual, those things that are there to help me temper that expression now become something that I have to push back on. So family, church, right, uh, community, all of those things when they have to when, – when I go out and I try to act in a particular way and that thing comes along and says, hey, no, that's not right. No, don't do that. Right now, it's like, oh, no, that's the enemy, right, of my individual expression. So each person becomes, in a sense, an island on their own. The problem is, is none of us are an island. We have to live in community, right? So therein lies, you know, the problem that he has, and that is, as everybody goes out and says, hey, I'm the Queen of England, there's a lot of Queen of England running around. And we all have to verify that and authenticate that and, you know, love and appreciate you for being the Queen of England, even though there's 75 million Queens of England running around out there. <laughs> right. And the absurdity of that is what is what he's beginning to kind of lay ground to. Mm-hmm. You didn't see that when they were writing, but the roots of it were laid with each of these particular individuals as they wrote it. What, what did you guys think about things that he was talking about in chapter two? Well, just – from a comical standpoint, you said <laughs> high school history. I, I don't ever remember reading these guys <laughs> in high school history, so there goes my public Tim, education. <laughs> Tim's high school history teacher is now going, what? What are you kidding? Yeah. Like, you wrote a whole paper on this. Yes. Guy. <laughs> that, that was that AI paper that you did, remember? Yeah, that was the GPT oh. paper. Yeah, where okay. you, uh, where you, yeah. You, yeah. You, you know, you punched it in Google and said, hey, yeah. I need a paper on this, yeah. this, this, and it, yeah. it popped it and out. You got is. an A on it. Here comes Rousseau. Rousseau. You don't remember Rousseau? Now I'm thinking about high school history. We can move on. Well, <laughs> well it's, there's theological implications for sure that you, ought, that you ought to infer. 
And I mean this uh, this idea, and, and this is part of if you know about 18th century enlightenment, this is this is a broader problem. And yes. we need to remember, as much as the American experiment experiment is a wonderful thing, yeah, so much of it is good. We have to also be honest enough to understand that a lot of the founders were tempered through some of these things. Yeah. Now they found their way, in a, to a large degree. A lot of these cats running around in Europe, it was a, it was a different. It was a different ethos behind what they were trying to argue. I do. I think he does a really good job. I really appreciated his his unpacking of Descartes and that whole the whole genesis of the think, thinking. Therefore, I am because this was I of the five minutes of of social studies in tenth grade. I remember too. I do remember like being like this really like man. What what a rich deep you know thing to realize and all this all this idea of what we eventually will understand as existentialism as the the awareness of self and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But it still puts the brightest light on self yes. which is antithetical to the gospel message. Yes. And so as you're processing this as you're reading through this and you're thinking like okay I want to understand in all of this what is what is Jesus calling me to be as a young man? Who am I supposed to become? This ain't it, bro. Like, yeah. like it's, so, it's, some it's people, too far down the rabbit right. hole. Some, see, some people miss that, right? Because I, I have inherent from the notes, right? Rousseau in the social contract, mm. the famous line that he has from it, right? Is man is born free yet everywhere in chains. Oh. And, and the concept is, is like, oh, from a Christian, it's like, oh, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. right? But that's but not what he means. Exactly. It's like. Not at all. It's It literally is just the opposite, right? Because I believe that scripture tells us, right, that we were born in chains. And Jesus makes us free. Right, and Jesus makes us yeah. free. And it's a totally different concept because what, what are the chains? And what he's saying is the chains are anything that comes and represses you and restricts you from living out however you want to live. And my thing is, wait a second. I see a lot of people living out however they want to live, and there really aren't any chains or restrictions on it, right? Yeah. But But the concept of true freedom is – not just living the way you want to, but living the way you were designed to be. Hmm. And that's a, that's a totally different concept, right? right? But it, it brings into the, the, the question, right, the designer. Because if there isn't a designer and there isn't a purpose, right, then, yes. I mean, if I want to do whatever I want to do and I want to drive on, you know, whatever side of the street I want to drive on and yeah, however right. fast I want to drive yeah. and a cop pulls me over and I'm like, whoa, 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 dude. Like – you're repressing my individual expression, yeah. right? And the police yeah. officer is going to say, yeah, but if everyone wanted to drive on you know, the wrong side, all we'd have is accidents and no one would get to where they want to go. So we understand, right, to some regard that there are proper restraints on our desire to express, right? Um, Which, by hey, the way, is for our flourishing. Exactly, yeah. right? Hey, if you want to get on the tollway and go 80 miles an hour, that's awesome, right? Because we're all going 80 yeah. miles an hour. But history is important here, though, in this regard, because some of these guys are operating, and this is a, this is a reminder for us as mm-hmm. pastors and disciple makers, some of these guys are operating out of a post-Reformation world where they're deeply flawed theology and doctrine coming out of the church yes. at large. yes. We should we should concede we should be intellectually honest here that some of these guys they are reacting to an unhelpful gospel yep, narrative yep, for centuries yep. that has permeated throughout Europe and so they're fighting back against a church that did have all kinds of ridiculously extra biblical things like if you read a printed Bible we're going to burn you yeah. that's if you're out there and wondering that's not actually in the Bible but that w- they were watching yeah. that was part of their worldview yeah. so it was and it didn't provide the freedom not at that all. they said that it would well, and no, even no. as we go on further the governmental structures as well right, of course mm-hmm. you know yep. that they were yep. up against too and how interconnected that became like right. the king was god's man and so if he said this this is what it was and so it's not hey, like that's like braveheart 
<laughs> of course, yeah. I mean, it's, everything comes back to but you, party. You stop. <laughs> but but right, it's you know when the king steps in because I'm God's man, you right. have to listen to right. me, right? right? And on the first night, I get to sleep with your wife, and right. you can't disagree. Right. So out, all that. Right. What does William Wallace do? And he says, "Nope, getting yep. married at night." Yep. So you don't know. I mean, so lots of different things. If we put ourselves right. back in those particular times, yep. right? There's a there's a bunch of unhelpful untruths. Right, that were out there that they had to fight against, but a lot of these things that they replaced it with, right, didn't have God at the center. Even worse ideas. Even so, they became even worse ideas, right? And yeah. the man and the man became the center of reality and truth, as opposed to going back to God and saying, "If God is the center and the source of reality and truth, I therefore can understand how to mm-hmm. do life and how the world revolves." Right, not around me, but I'm a part of this revolution, mm-hmm. right? And and that's that's where part of the Reformation was super helpful, because part of the Reformation pushed back on, hey, the church is not the author and perfecter of life; Christ is, right? <laughs> right? Right, right, right. So so the church can get it wrong, man can get it wrong. We've got to go back to God's word yeah. and go well, back and to church God can Himself. Get it wrong because church is full of men. Men, right? Yeah, get it wrong. We get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, Which so we, so we have, to, right. So we have to either go back to our own individual narrative, or we have to go back to God's narrative, sure. right? And and one of those two is going to win out. And what we see is in I today's society, right? Yeah, I read the last chapter of that book. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that in. No, yeah, but in in this, in two, from even the education space, I know you deal with this of trying to lay the groundwork for like the high school guy out there that's yeah. trying to unpack this. Yeah. And the reason I, I appreciate the way he unfolds this because we both have sons and you know, they're, they're younger and I'm thinking about this as I'm, as I'm training my guy up. It's like, it's not that hard and we're hard on these guys historically and theologically. And we should be, yes, let's, let's, let's be fair there. This is well deserving of critique, but it, for, as a disciple maker, it makes me think too, it might not have been that hard for these guys to get there, particularly if your desire is my – if we know theologically my internal rebellion says rebel, and that's what they're doing here philosophically. And, I mean, Rousseau's giving his kids away to orphanages because he says, ah, I can't deal. They'll raise them better than me. Like, what in the world? But I, I think if you think about even like the high school kid coming into the college context now that we're seeing this all the time, mm. you can see why Truman's, Truman's argument here is so helpful because you can see why one-on-one philosophy at a, you know fill-in-the-blank large university – so much simpler to indoctrinate these kids, and maybe you're listening to this and you're struggling with this, yep. that indoctrination, that trap door, you've already fallen through it because you've slid down the slope that these guys introduced. And the irony of it is, is like you said, man, it's in, in an effort to recreate the reality of what I say the world should be, you're actually fulfilling Romans 1 in real time. Yeah, God's right. just giving you over yep. to the reality of your sinful. There, there's a false freedom. And yep. so it's, I think we see a lot of young guys fall through that trap door as well. well I think, too, problem. this is also why our Christian faith, like, it's grounded in reality mm. and it makes sense. Yep. Like, when we look yep. at yeah. these, the the thought process and, and this elevation and exaltation of self and, you know, your feelings being given this yeah. authority and, and all that, I mean, that takes us all all the way back, right, to where we want to define good and evil. We want to be God, and, and we want to be sovereign. Uh, and so um, our yeah. faith helps impart where, the lie how, of the, how do we even get this? Yeah, the lie of the garden. It's yeah. the same one. It's right. All the way. All the way. All the way. Well, that's chapters one and two, a lot to digest. <laughs> but I, I think as, as we all agree, um, something worth digesting and something mm-hmm. worth kind of chewing on a little bit because it's such an important um, frame that he's giving us um, to paint the picture that he's going to show us of why this is really, really a valuable um, pl- 
place that we have in society because so many people have, in a sense, they've bought the lie. Um, they feel like they're free, but they're even more trapped than they even know. That's right. and, and that's the sad place to be. So chapters one and two, chapters three and four coming up next. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.